I'm Dr. Jess Cap, and this is Storybook Earth. Welcome to Storybook Earth, a podcast that fuses science and storytelling, two of my favorite things, to bring you vibrant tales of notable Earth features, phenomena, and places, and the geological processes that make them what they are. From the tiniest minerals in the oldest rocks on Earth, to the giant asteroid that killed the dinosaurs, from the strange and mysterious trenches of the ocean, to the romanticized top of Mount Everest, the stories in the chapters of Earth's long and beautiful history are all around us, just waiting to be told. Have you ever felt really out of place? Like you look around you and everything feels unfamiliar, strange, almost otherworldly. If you've ever moved away from your hometown, maybe to a place that has a completely different climate or landscape, then you know what I'm talking about. It never occurred to me that my life would take me far from the lush glacial landscape of my home in upstate New York to the stark, rocky American Southwest. As little as I knew about the geologic history of my home state, I knew even less about the rugged topography of the West. Only once had I traveled there to the Pacific Coast as a five-year-old child on a visit to see family friends and go to a theme park. I remember very little of it and certainly nothing about the natural environment except for the squirrels at the beach that would eat potato chips out of my hands. But at the age of 27, I found myself settling down in Tucson, Arizona, a place so unlike my childhood home that it induced a form of culture shock that I never fully recovered from. It was early September of 2001, and my fiance, also a geologist, brought me to Tucson for the first time so he could visit the University of Arizona, where he had been offered a job. He had grown up in Phoenix and attended the University of Arizona as an undergraduate, and he'd always wanted to make his way back to its geology department, which he had loved so much. It was more than 100 degrees outside under relentless sunshine, and to me, this was not what September was supposed to be. Back in my home state, evenings were getting cold, kids were wearing jeans and long sleeves to school, the leaves would soon be turning bright colors, and airplanes were flying into the World Trade Center. It was hard to really soak in the beauty of the desert, while sweating profusely, desperately trying to ward off sunburn, fighting dehydration, and watching those towers come down on the television in the living room of our bed and breakfast. My fiance and I were graduate students at the time, pursuing PhDs in geology at a West Coast university near the shore of the Pacific Ocean. I had coveted the American West since becoming a geology major as a sophomore in college, trying desperately to make my way toward Arizona or New Mexico or Nevada or California, places where the rocks were not buried under soil and vegetation, but stood out, exposed, just begging to be examined, studied, and loved. Yes, it is possible to love rocks. It was all about to happen, with my fiancé taking that job. It was time to lay down roots in the dry, sandy soil of southern Arizona. Turns out, that wasn't as easy as I thought it would be. I wasn't immune to the charms of the Sonoran Desert. Our first house had large picture windows that looked to the north, toward the majestic Catalina Mountains along the north edge of Tucson. As a geologist, I could appreciate the view, 
gazing to the north at the tabletop of slanted rock that bounds the mountain range's southern edge. I soon discovered what it was like to live in a place with dangerous heat and a whole host of animals and plant life that, while beautiful and fascinating, is equipped to hurt or kill humans quite effectively. Rattlesnakes, scorpions, tarantulas, coyotes, bobcats, javelina, and a multitude of cacti became familiar sights in my surroundings, things I had to learn to live among and respect. The sight and sound of moving water, something that felt like comfort and safety and peace, became limited to that which came out of my faucet or the rare occasions when it rained so hard that the ephemeral rivers and streams around town would begin to flow again, a temporary sight that would end when the precipitation slowed and the rivers seeped back into the ground, searching for the water table tens or even hundreds of meters below. But the colors of the brilliant sunsets of my new home were a welcome novelty, an unreal backdrop for the bizarre saguaro cactus that dot the landscape, arms raised as if giving thanks for something I didn't yet understand. It took me a while to find things to give thanks for here in the desert, but slowly I formed a connection and an appreciation for her dangerous beauty. Now, let's get back to this tabletop of slanted rock I could see from the windows of my first house. I can gaze at it now from the windows of my current house as I tell this story. This feature is known as a detachment, and it is a telltale sign of past tectonic activity. It's essentially a ramp, a surface along which rock ruptured, slid, and created earthquakes that once would have shaken the area. It's an ancient feature, though, and Tucson is one of the few places in the United States that is relatively safe to live today, geologically speaking. We don't have active volcanoes that can erupt and bury us in superheated clouds of ash and poisonous gas. We don't have many earthquakes at all, and the ones we do have are generally mild and don't cause any mayhem. We don't have tornadoes or hurricanes to contend with like our Midwestern and coastal neighbors. We just have all those little critters I spoke of earlier, and believe me, opening your front door to a coiled up rattlesnake on your stoop can be terrifying. In order to really understand why the Catalina Mountains have this striking tabletop feature, we have to first understand the geologic features we call faults. A surface along which rock has ruptured, the two sides moving relative to each other. This is how we define a fault. Faults happen because stress causes the brittle rocks of the Earth's crust to break. The break is usually quite linear, and rocks on either side of the linear feature, also known as the fault, move in response to this break. Now, not all faults are exactly the same. Let's take, for example, the San Andreas Fault in California, a super famous fault. This one is actually its own tectonic plate boundary, the line that demarcates the Pacific Plate to the west from the North American Plate to the east. The Pacific Plate is moving to the northwest, past the North American Plate, which is moving to the southeast. This fault, which is really a whole network of faults that all relieve the stress forming between these two plates as they move, is what we call a strike-slip or transform fault.
This is a fault where the rocks on either side move past each other horizontally. There's no motion of these two plates toward or away from each other. Imagine holding your hands out flat in front of you, palms facing down. Tuck your thumbs under your palms and put your hands right up next to each other so your index fingers touch. Now, slide your left hand away from you along your right hand as you pull your right hand toward you. In essence, this is how a transform fault works, although in reality, it doesn't move smoothly like that. It gets stuck due to the friction between two massive rocky plates. And only at certain times and in certain places along its length does it move in a quick burst of stress release, which results in an earthquake. It's why California is so prone to earthquakes. Another type of fault is one that happens when two chunks of earth, usually tectonic plates, are moving toward each other, in essence causing the rocks along the fault to be squeezed into a smaller space. For this example, imagine laying a dish towel flat on a table. Place your hands at either end of the dish towel and slowly start to push the ends together. You'll notice the dish towels start to bend and fold, crumpling into the smaller space you are creating as you push your hands closer and closer together. Rocks do this too. They crumple and fold in response to two plates pushing together, but also they fracture, forming those ruptures in the rocks along which they can pile up on top of each other. That type of motion, where one block of earth slides up and over another along a fault, is called thrust or reverse faulting. And it's common in places where continents collide, like the Himalayas. Now, onto the type of fault that lives outside my windows. Believe it or not, Earth's rocks can also be stretched and pulled, kind of like taffy, when subjected to what we call tensional stress. Imagine taking a piece of silly putty in its oval shape, grabbing either end of the oval with your fingers and slowly pulling on that putty, applying tension to the putty. The silly putty will respond by thinning out in the middle and becoming longer as it stretches. Eventually, if you pull it far enough, it will break. Again, Earth's crust can do the same thing, stretch and stretch under tension, sometimes breaking into faults and allowing pieces of Earth to slide down and off of other pieces along those faults. This is called normal faulting. When a normal fault is low angle, in other words, not very steep, and when there's a lot of displacement of rock along it, it's what we call a detachment. An example of which is the beautiful flat tabletop surface of rock that defines the Catalina Mountains of Tucson. The rocks of the tabletop used to be 15 to 20 kilometers deep or so, where it was warm enough to allow the rocks to really stretch taffy-like. While the rocks higher up in the mountains today are the jagged peaks that are solidified magma that was once feeding active volcanoes in the area over 100 million years ago. So, what slid down and off those mountains along that gorgeous detachment? The tops of what used to be the active volcanoes, which are now across town, leaving the Tucson Valley in between. How insane is that? about faults in college, I never realized how much detachments would become a part of my life. 
My PhD research took me to southern Tibet, where I studied a large core complex, which are places where extreme extension of the Earth's crust creates dome-shaped bodies of exhumed rock bordered by normal faults. It's exactly what the Catalina Mountains are. Within just a few short years of starting that PhD project, I would be living in the shadow of my own core complex, the Catalina Mountains core complex, starting a new life as a desert dweller in the foothills of a detachment. Detachments are special, in my humble opinion, because for a long time, many in the geologic community didn't believe normal faults could slip at low angle, rather that they would initiate at an angle of 45 degrees or more, and over time, that fault would rotate to a lower angle, ending up as a detachment. This idea was challenged by researchers who accumulated evidence that normal faults could indeed initiate and move at low angle, think something like 30 degrees, but the debate has been re-sparked in recent years. Either way, I love the idea that the top of a volcano broke off and slid down along its own solidified magma chamber, which then rose up and became the glimmering white rocky surface I hike upon on weekends. I always notice flashes of light beneath my boots as I'm hiking, shimmering surfaces of the mineral muscovite that has weathered out of the mountain granites, the frozen remnants of those magma chambers. It looks like I'm walking over gold. And though it may not be actual gold, to me, those rocks are priceless. The gold flashing micas record a cooling history of the rocks they're part of. Geologists can extract that cooling history from those little crystals. And they can tell the tale of how those rocks started deep within Earth's crust as a magma, solidified, and made their way up to the gorgeous mountaintops that they are today, traveling from warmer temperatures to cooler temperatures over millions of years. It may seem hard to believe that a person can love rocks. They're hard and angular and dirty after all, but there's so much to love about them. They contain the stories of how our planet has been moving and shaking since her birth over 4 billion years ago. Clues that help us assemble her history, the movement of her continents, the rise and fall of her seas, and the evolution of her life forms, most of which had come and gone before humans ever existed. In Tucson, the rocks are so different from those of my childhood home. I lived here for more than 20 years now. I'm raising two kids here among the cactus and mica-studded sandy washes. Bobcats lounge in our backyard quite frequently, and discussions about avoiding rattlers on the way to the bus stop have become a normal part of my life. I've had to pull cactus needles out of my kids on more than one occasion, put signs by the front door not to go out as there is a snake coiled up nearby, and killed scorpions in my home. It seems surreal foreign to me even to this day that my home is here in this wild place, settled between dry washes, an owl living in a mesquite tree out front, a pool we float in when it's hot like I never knew existed. But I sure can appreciate being a resident in the shadow of mountains of granite that shine red in the setting sun, granite that over 45 million years ago cooled from magma to rock, its volcanic peaks making the journey south, along the Catalina Detachment Fault that is, today, one of the most visible features of my home. What a view for a geologist to have just outside her living room window. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, please consider subscribing, liking, writing a review, and sharing this with a friend or two. 
thanks to our listeners and supporters. Special thanks to Michaela Moore for music, sound editing, and design, and to Pierce Ware for the artwork. The Geology Podcast Network is sponsored by Traveling Geologist. Thank you.